gonna do the intro this week. I'm doing the intro this week. What? Me. Do it. Oh god, my brain just went totally blank. Do you remember what our podcast name is? Because I messed that up the first time. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pitches Jane Austen against all three of the Bronte sisters, which wouldn't be a fair fight, except Jane Austen is gonna win anyway. Isn't that right, Lauren? I don't think so, because I don't know. I feel like you're coming around. You've got a journal for your Jane Eyre feelings. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm winning you over. Shit. Do you want to talk about your Jane Eyre feelings right now? Or do you want to do it on like the next episode? I can talk about them now. Should Do we now? We could do it. Okay. We should have said who we are. We probably should have said who we are. Okay, so I'm Lauren. I'm Team Bronte. And I'm Hannah. And I'm Team Jane Austen. Nice. I went for the full name. You did. Just so that people didn't get it confused with Team Jane Eyre. There you go. But like, it's better if you're like, hashtag Team Austen. Yeah, no, don't. Yeah, don't say Team Jane Austen. Because you'll sound like an idiot. And then people make fun of you when you're at the water cooler. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about it. The, at the water cooler? Yeah. Can the, you say it? The water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not how? <laughs> uh, oh, we yeah. We are coming to you live. Is this like live from... Yeah, live. Yeah, live right, from live. Chicago. Indeed. We're together. We're in the same room. Oh the same wood paneled room in it's my house. It's so nice in here. It's, it's like a hut. Crazy. <laughs> yes, in my hut. Podcast hut. We're in the podcast hut. Yeah. That's good. I like that. And in this hut, I've been reading Jane Eyre mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Charlotte Bronte. For the first time. For, well, um, it, this is the first time I've gotten as far in the book as I have. Okay. I have reached Lowood Academy. Okay. So, yeah. So, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's great. Yeah. What yeah. a good Wait, book. What? No. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> like, part of me really didn't want to enjoy it because I felt like I had to, you know, I'm Team Jane Austen. I'm Team Austen. I've got to stop saying her full name. I'm Team Austen. And I just, I think maybe I wanted to come out of this still just being Team Austen. But actually, I think the reason that Jane Austen is my favourite is because... Well, maybe it's because I haven't read any of the Bronze Age stuff. <laughs> maybe you were just uninformed. Maybe. I have tried to read it before. Okay. And I could not tell you why I didn't like it. There is okay. so much that appeals to me about this book. The the tone of, like, the voice. She mm-hmm. So she's still a kid at the point that I'm reading, that I've just come to. Um, and she's at this school... And I'm not sure how spoilery I can be, but you guys, I mean, you've had like a hundred years yeah, minimum you've had that a you could have read, read this. All of you are a hundred years old, of course. Right. <laughs> um, so Jane Eyre's this like, she's this kid. Uh, the storyline of it so far is actually one of my favourite things about Jane Austen's literature. I have a lot of feelings about the books Northanger Abbey and Mansfield Park. And mm-hmm. when you take a poor relation, you send it to a wealthier family. And so Jane Eyre is the story of this um, young ward who's been sent to live with the wealthier side of her family, exactly as 
happened to Jane Austen's brother. Right. You know, which I've talked about before because I'm dull and I'm only interested in one thing. <laughs> you um, love it when poor relatives have to go live with Yeah. Their that's my rich favorite relatives. that's yeah, my yeah. favourite storyline. And it happens and it's it never ends well. And so you've got this poor little Jane Eyre, she's not a servant, she's mm-hmm. not a member of the family. Every everyone is horrible to her. Mm-hmm. And then there's this insane scene in the in the red room and like it's there's ghosts and it's almost like they're talking about the same thing and then Charlotte Bronte's like yeah you think you know what you're talking about fucking ghosts exactly there's a ghost in the room and then she has like a seizure and then the doctor's like what's wrong and she's like I really hate it and he's like all right well we'll send you to another place guess what it's rubbish <laughs> like it's so bad that she can't catch a break she just it's can't. really rough I know I feel I feel badly for Jane I like as well when she's like, so she wants to make friends with this girl called Helen, tragic Helen. Mm -hmm. And she's like, we should be friends. And this girl's like, I just want to read my book. And she's like, yeah, but we should be friends. And then guess what happens when you make a friend? She dies, man. She dies. That's so sad. They often say that like Helen is also a stand in for, you know, one of her older sisters as well that died. As in, oh, so Charlotte's really kind of writing about. Yeah, 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 a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because they went, did they, do you know if it was the school like this that they went to? The school was like that, yeah. No, yeah. it was So, yeah, that was the inspiration for Jane Eyre. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about juvenilia and um, what I do want to talk about with Charlotte today is like, in her, you know, teens and her early 20s, she's writing about things that are just like not inspired by her life mm-hmm. at all. And then she makes this really big jump with like the professor and Valette and Jane Eyre, where she starts, you know, pulling things from her life as inspiration. So, yeah, yeah, yeah for it's sure. Such, it's such an authentic voice. Like there is this point where little baby girl Jane Eyre is hanging out with a different girl on a rock in the middle of the river eating a jam sandwich or something. And she's like, oh, Rita, I know you think I'm being a bad friend because I'm not hanging out with my mate Helen, but... Helen's going to die. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> it was just so sweet because I think it's so real. Like you do, you do hang out with other people and just having like that little voice where Jane is like, I know, like, don't think badly of me. Like I'm hanging out with this one person. And I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've come across that in a book. I haven't been mm-hmm. so surprised by a book as I have been since like I read Huckleberry Finn. Okay. And I was very surprised by that book when I read that a few years ago, um, just by how much I enjoyed it. Didn't realise it was a sequel. So the bit when he's like, oh, you might have heard about me in the other book, Tom Sawyer. I thought that Mm -hmm. was like a literary joke. (laughs) I thought he was like alluding to a book that didn't exist. And I was like, funny joke. Turns out um, it's not a joke. Did you read that in school or did you read that on your own? Okay. I don't think we have to read it at school in England. Okay. Did you read Jane Eyre in school at all? I was meant to read... Okay, don't tell anyone. I was meant to read Jane Eyre for university. Okay. I didn't read it. I like This is so the last time What'd I tried do? to read Did it. What'd you do? Did you just like watch the movie and then pretend that you had read it? Oh, I think I just read the Wikipedia page. In fact, it's not as good. So, hey, hey guys, hey listeners. Like, it's not as good. The Wikipedia page doesn't do it justice. Good. It's all right. <laughs> I got this got this far, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got this far. Um, so I've actually, I've been stopping myself from reading ahead uh, because I would like to 
experience it and talk about it while it's fresh mm-hmm. and not read the whole thing and then have to try and remember while it's happening so i'm really excited so she's just um she's just advertised herself okay and so she's going to be leaving this school uh she's grown up now she's not like a kid she's like hey Mm -hmm. take me away right um so she is 18 now i think she's like Mm -hmm. an adult she's been teaching there she's just kind of stayed at this school Mm -hmm. ever since she was a tiny girl and now she's going to leave for the first time and it's exciting right and i think it's good to leave at that point because in the same way that she spent her childhood years at Lowood Academy. So we will be looking at the childhood years of our four authors. <gasps> that sounded good. Look at you. You tough. brought it round just... to the title of today's episode. Juvenalia. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Buckle in. If you guys are interested in knowing a little bit more about the Brontes when they were kids, I would suggest... You go to the library or, you know, pull up Amazon and buy or borrow. borrow. That's what you do at a library. Yeah. I should know that. <laughs> to library school. Um, Tales of Glastown, Angria, and Gondol. Um, this is the selected early writings of Charlotte and Emily and uh, even some Branwell in there. So I know there's a lot of Branwell fans out there. And if you guys are wondering, you know, where do I read some of his works? Because he was not published like his sisters. Well, you get it in the juvenilia. So um, this book, I really like this book because it starts off with something that Charlotte wrote called The History of the Year. And she would just like kind of write down like a recap of the year, of like Mm -hmm. what had happened. Did she do this every year? She didn't do it as much as like Emily and Anne would do this and they would like fold it up and they would put it underneath their bed or hide it somewhere in their room and then the next year they would open it up and read it before they wrote another one mm-hmm. so it's sort of like a little time capsule that's cute yeah it's really cute it's actually something that I'm thinking like maybe I should do it's too late for you Lauren I know it's too late it's too late it's not cute it's weird when you do it as an adult? Uh, as an adult. When yeah. you're 33, it's like not as cute. I'm going to write a note and hide it <laughs> under my bed and I'm going to read it next year. Yeah. It's like to help me remember that, things. I don't know what that voice was. Well, I also don't, <laughs> I kind of like the idea of doing it at the end of the year too, because like I, I have a passion planner, but um, my handwriting is so messy, like I don't understand anything that I'm writing in it. So like maybe I should, you know, email the end of the year. Yeah. Email myself. Email. <laughs> Do not open. Anyway, okay. So um, the reason I wanted to talk about uh, the history of the year is because I think there's like a bunch of really interesting things going on there and also kind of sets up what was going on with the Bronte kids. So um, the beginning of history of the year, Charlotte is talking about where all of her um, family members are like at that very moment. Mm -hmm. So she's like, Emily is in the parlor and she's cleaning. And I think at the time, Emily would be around like eight or nine. Um, Anne is sitting at the table, like watching Tabby, who is making cakes. And she's just like watching the cakes. Mm -hmm. Um, Branwell and her father have gone to Keeley, I think it is, to go buy some newspapers. So that was very important. They'd go four miles out of town to go get all the newspapers. And the family would read them together. And Charlotte is sitting at the table and she is reading this book. And it's a really old book from Patrick's collection. It's 120 years old. 
and she opens it up to a blank page. And um, there is a little bit in there where her sister uh, Maria has written in the book. And um, she's kind of talking about like looking at this little, you know, this memo from her sister and like, oh, she shouldn't have done this. This book is so old. But like, look here, she's written on, on in this book and she's gone now. And um, the reason I like this so much is that Charlotte's really young. She's like 10, but she's just like thinking about the things that people leave behind. Mm-hmm. And you think like a young Charlotte, like she's already lost like her mother and two of her sisters. And I think this is what the, the Brontes do so well in their literature later on is they really um, like Wuthering Heights. Like I love the way that book is about the way people haunt you. Mm-hmm. Um, not just as a ghost, not just appearing to you in dreams, but also like that first night that Lockwood is, you know, in the house in Wuthering Heights and he's looking at the cabinet and just like Catherine's name, like etched into the desk. Like, I feel like that's just, I don't know, it's just really haunting. And so it's like the way people leave you, they leave you, they leave their things behind. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I like how later they start incorporating like those details and their grief into yeah. their writing. And like maybe it is super obvious, but it is done so much in that red, like the red room in yeah. Jane Eyre. And like it, it, it sets the the tone and the tension mm-hmm. just immediately. Like here is a person who is so like aware of this stuff and she just she really feels it. Like, right. Like, to the point that she has this physical reaction yeah. to an empty room. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just, that's what I love about their work. And it's funny because, like, the stuff that we're going to talk about today, like, they were not incorporating that at all. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. That's all right. So the rest of the piece, um, Charlotte is basically just recapping, like, what um, she and her, you know, brother and sisters have been doing that year. So... Charlotte mentions that the children have collaborated on three great plays together. Whoa. She says they're great. Um, and that they're, they're they're very good and they're also quite strange. I can believe that. So, yeah. Um, and she also uh, says they've written several bed plays. Now, the bed plays are secret plays that, like... So, I'm guessing the great plays, like, she has performed for her family. Okay. So, all the kids were involved in writing them. And they perform them from, you know, their father, for Tabby, whoever, their aunt as well, who was there. But the bed plays are secret. And sometimes those are just between her and Emily, just in bed, just okay, almost like yeah. two, like when you're like having a slumber party. And yeah. And she says those are those are quite good as well. Aww. But I don't know why they're secret. They don't really expand they're just on for that. them. They're just for them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um. We talked a little bit um, on our first episode about the soldiers. Yeah. Yes. So that year that she wrote the history of the year, they take their collaboration to the next level. Like, so the, from the bed plays, from the great plays, they're going to start, you know, a whole new level of writing. So they take those 12 soldiers that Patrick brought home from Leeds. And this is 1826. And um, they divide them up between each other. So Charlotte takes the prettiest ones. And one of them she calls the Duke of Wellington because she's obsessed with the Duke of Wellington. (laughs) And then um, what is what does Branwell call his? Oh, Bonaparte, because he's uh, obsessed with Napoleon. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
And um, let's see, Emily has gravy because he looks very grave. And I can't remember what Anne called hers. But Anne's, um, as Charlotte says, is the queerest little one because she, just like Anne, who she believes is the queerest but, little one. But are, they, are these not like identical? I guess they're toys? not like, I, they're not identical toy okay. soldiers. When we go to the parsonage, I think they have them there oh, still. Really? So, oh, no, because then like, I want to so see them. I want to see them. I'm like, I don't want to see them. I want to see because them. Because I'm like, the things we leave behind. Because <laughs> you think I it's haunted? Yeah, I, if anything is going to be haunted in that parsonage, 12 little toy soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not bringing them with us here. You know, like, I'm fine with, like, leaving. <laughs> I'm going to carry them. Like, around. I don't want, like, those to come back with me, mm-hmm. you know, because then I'll be haunted by, like, the spirit of, I don't know, which one would haunt you? Like, I feel like it would be Branwell, and I don't want Branwell oh, to haunt me. I, I thought prefer... you meant which soldier. I was like, Oh, gravy. which Bronte? Which Bronte like... would haunt you? <laughs> I would hope Emily, but she's not leaving the moors, so. She's not. No. Um, so, yeah. So, they've got these soldiers. They um, give them all names. And they give them all, like, territories in a kingdom. And they call the kingdom Angria, which is in West Africa. So, you know, this is, like, Victorian times, right? So, think about, you know, you Brits. Us. Going over the, there to Africa. Yeah. You were doing some stuff. Yeah. Which you don't learn about in school. We had this discussion earlier this week. <laughs> like, we learn about it to a certain extent. Right. But, um, you guys kind of, like, like whitewash um, over the colonialism a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean... It's okay. Americans do it, too. Like, we kind of... We just take out the bad bits. It's awful. We look a lot... We look a lot at the Second World War. Okay, yeah, we do too. We do too. Yeah. Where we're all the heroes. Right? Ugh. That's another podcast. History. Anyway. So I'm, not, I'm not qualified. Not, not qualified. qualified for that. Not, not qualified. Please, if anyone's listening, do not approach me to do some kind of history podcast because. <laughs> we're here for your entertainment. This is we're a not, history podcast. It is, but we're like. We're what here for I entertainment. Doing? We're not here uh, to educate. I mean, hopefully you'll learn something. I'm here for the bants. Bronte bants. There you go. Big boy Bronte bants pants. That's me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's what you're here for. What was your point? <laughs> my point was, okay. My point was that they were playing D&D, basically. What? I mean, I I don't know. I'm not a and d expert. Listen, we're not educators and we're not D&D experts. I've played D&D. I just, yeah. you know, don't date people that play D&D because you play <laughs> D&D with them and then things happen and um doesn't work out for anyone. And then you've okay. got to leave the D&D groups and... Yeah. So my, hus- my husband's a DM, a dungeon master. Yeah. Should I not... I should not join his game. No. Okay. It will like break our marriage apart. Yeah. Okay. I've played, I mean, risk has destroyed relationships I've had. I'm clearly fragile <laughs> things, aren't they? Don't play games with anyone that you're involved with. Yeah. Only strangers. Only strangers. <laughs> From the internet. From the internet. Like us. Cause if we... anyone wants to play D&D with me over the internet and like never meet me, sign me up. Okay. Also risk. I don't even know how to play risk. I would say we can play risk, <laughs> but there'd never be another episode of the podcast. So. I know, right? 
Because um, I would win. You probably would, because I don't play any games. I'm aggressive in risk. Oh. I'm making break alliances like that. Jeez. Maybe we should try it. I'm curious. Um, so yeah, they're playing d and I think. I mean, okay. They all have these toys. I don't know what the little toys are called in D&D. What are they called when people have the little things and they're moving them around on the board? I don't know. I don't know how it D&D's works. in your mind. It is, but you always have little, like... Not always. Okay. Those guys do. They have okay. little toys. And yeah. they've got maps. Yeah. And they have a storyline. Right. And, um... Yeah, so do the Brontes. <laughs> they're sort of like war, like they're sort of doing miniature wargaming. Yeah. Because they all have these soldiers and um, like everyone's getting different territories in this on this map and this like fictional map. And they're like, you know, they're fighting. There's like political intrigue and there's, yeah. you know, there's battles and stuff. So and that's really driven a lot by by Branwell. He's the most interested in that sort of thing. Um. And then Charlotte kind of helps move the story forward. Once, like, the wars settle, um, she kind of, she gives everyone, like, more of an identity and starts creating stories. Like, everyone settles in this world of, you know, Angria. Glasstown is the capital. And um, it's full of, like, dukes and earls and duchesses and all of these people who are sort of, like, a world away from where she is. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so they're doing this for for years, really, and sort of like honing their storytelling skills. Um, all the inspiration from these stories came from Blackwood and Fraser's magazine. So those magazines, Charlotte used to read to everyone in the nursery, like along with the newspaper, like right before they'd play Aww. their game. Yeah. Um, so the big stories of the day were of British explorers. So Perry and Ross um, and their, like, Arctic adventures and um, the Anglo-Asante Wars, which were happening in Ghana from, like, 1823 to 1831. So they're sort of getting those updates. And all of that's really influencing um, all their games. So um, what else do they have? Oh, oh. So, okay. Full disclosure, we taped this podcast earlier once before. But we had an audio issue, so we had to re-record. Yeah, I was in bed and the microphone was like super far away from me, so the sound quality was really bad. So, you know, it happens. But um, I'm really sad that we lost in that is your reaction to Charlotte Bronte's tiny hands or tiny handwriting. (laughs) No, yeah. Her perceived tiny hands. She definitely must have had tiny hands. Yeah. So, so when we, Lauren was telling me about, you know, these tiny hands and these tiny books, I was like, yeah, 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 cool, cool, small books, small books. But then I Googled it, right? Yeah. The internet is a marvellous thing because it shows you images that you will never unsee, including the tiny books. The tiny books. The tiniest books that Tiny Hands wrote. And I yeah. think that Charlotte Bronte was a, she was... Like, she was a tiny person. She was, like, a fairy-sized person. <laughs> like a fairy-sized she person. She was the size of a Smurf, which is approximately three apples high. And sure, sure. That's, and she wrote these tiny apple books. I think five feet tall. Maybe under. 
Unclear. Unclear. We will know when we go up to the parsonage. We're like, how? What? Because she's there? <laughs> she's just there? She's hanging out? She's hanging out. So, all of the toy soldiers had teeny tiny books. <laughs> I love your face. I'm just so upset. Um, all of these stories, they were basically, or Charlotte was writing down in these teeny tiny manuscripts. And there's a couple of reasons why she might have been making these tiny books. Um, one is that she didn't want, you know, her father or her aunt or, you know, anyone to really read them, any adults to read them, because maybe the content was not something that, you know, Vicar's daughters would really, should be really writing. Um, Another reason is that they were tiny because they were for the toy soldiers. So, um, yeah. So those maps and everything and the little stories were just, you know, they were for them. So they had to be small. But how she got them to be so small, unclear. So how small we're talking, like slightly bigger than a postage stamp? Yeah, like small. Does that help? Does that give you like a really, if I just keep saying small again and again and again. If we're just like Google it or go to our Twitter and I'll like try to post some pictures of it. Yeah, you should, you should tweet a picture. We'll Instagram it and we'll tweet it. And Mm -hmm. then I won't look at it for a couple of days until that stuff is buried beneath other posts. Because I don't want to see it. Because you were freaked out by it. I didn't like it. (laughs) I don't want to think about it anymore. Next Uh, point. Next point. Okay. So they had the teeny tiny books and... They were games, illustrations, maps, all that good stuff. And then Branwell started his own magazine. Now, Branwell's magazine was called Branwell's Blackwoods Magazine. Not really that creative. It'd be like if I started a magazine. It was like Lauren's Vanity Fair. (laughs) Be pretty good. Um, Hannah's Horse and Hound. (laughs) Sounds really good. I would read Hannah's Horse and Hound. Do you know anything about horses or I hounds? fell off a pony called Rupert once. <laughs> Sounds good. Never rode again. It's going to make it hard when we ride from London to Yorkshire. Oh, imagine. Remember? We were going to do that. Yeah. It's going to take like... It's going to take longer than it took in the Victorian era. Yeah, because I'll just be walking. And, like, just pulling my horse along. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll just be scared of it. Um, so, yeah, Branwell started this magazine. And, um, you know, it was just like the Blackwoods magazine. So he's, like, writing story, like, political stories. He's writing ghost stories, writing poetry. But um, then he totally loses interest in his fake magazine. So Charlotte takes it over as editor. And she changes the name to Young Men's Magazine. Okay. And she's also writing under the name Charles Wellesley. Okay. And um, she does, she makes some changes to the content. That's like her first thing. Like, hey, new editor in town. Uh, We're going to move away from some of the drinking songs. And he had some like tales of murder and mysterious occurrences in here. And he's like, I'm just going to, we're going to make it more romantic it's going to be, you know, some sweet poetry, some love stories. It's, for, it's a magazine for young men. Yeah. 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 Well, obviously, like that should be the case. Yeah. Bring it back. I say Branwell's magazine. Well, I forgot what it's called. <laughs> Branwell's already. Blackwoods. Yeah. Just rename it back to Branwell's Blackwoods magazine. And yeah. Just republish it. Um, I will say this. He, uh, 
read the new magazine. Uh, he didn't really approve of it. <laughs> <laughs> and he would actually like write into the magazine to complain. No. Yeah, he did. Which I think is really cute. Um, actually, all of the... But this was all just happening in their own house, right? Yeah, exactly. This is all just happening in their own house. This is just like a hardcore literary workshop. Yeah. It's not, you know... The cost great. of paper had gone down at this point? or Probably. Because they these guys are just burning through it. Well, they have really tiny. They're using yeah, really no, tiny bits. So... Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know how much paper is at this point. I did not research that point. But, um, you know, they're just, yeah, looking, you know, just they're just using little bits of it. So there you go. I'm just making a hand gesture at how big it was. And Hannah's looking away from me. I'm looking away. I don't want to. (laughs) And also, like, it's not, it is not okay that you've got 3.5 people in this fight. This is Bonnets at Dawn. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is Jane Austen versus Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte. And Branwell. I know. Sneaking in around the side. Sneaking in. No. If you can bring Branwell, I'm bringing Frank. Fine. I think they're... And James. And Henry and Charles and George. Wow. There's a lot of people in this fight. And Cassandra. How many books did they publish? Oh, yeah. No, they didn't publish any. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. Those guys. Um, so, yeah, he would write in to complain. Actually, Anne and Emily, to be fair, would also write in to complain. And they'd also contribute as well. So I do love this. Like, that is great. That is, It's pretty adorable. It is pretty good. Um, I also like that there were fake reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, here's one of the reviews um, for one of the poems. It is, it says, this is the most beautiful poem that ever flowed from the pen of man. The sentiments are wholly original and nothing is borrowed. There you go. That's the one that starts, there once was a young woman from Devon, isn't it? (laughs) It is, it is. They're like beautiful, beautiful (laughs) poem. There's also advertisements. So there's one that says, you know, uh, for sale, a rat trap by Monsieur. I can't say Monsieur. Monsieur. Say it some more. Monsieur. <laughs> I can't say it. Can't say anything in French. This really was a problem when we were in France yeah. in January. As you know, Cafe Nole. All right. Don't no need to bring that up. I actually speak uh, perfect French. How do you uh, say that? Uh, je suis juste timide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I can't believe that I said that. We don't need to keep that. You guys don't ever need to hear me say that. No, we need to keep it. Um, So, yeah, let's see. A rat trap for sale. It can catch nothing for it is broken. So it's not a really good advertisement. That's a beautifully written advertisement. Yeah, yeah. It can catch nothing for it is broken. Yeah. But it's for sale. It doesn't say how much. Oh. Yeah. So it needs some work. So maybe like well, Branwell should have like maybe. Room, so you know they can yeah. just. And how much you are? No, it's too much. Too much. Yeah. It's broken. So yeah, um, they had this little magazine, and I think it's uh, adorable. Um, in 1831, though, Emily and Anne, the youngest, they sort of break off from this whole scene, and mostly because it's really driven by Charlotte and Branwell, and you know Anne and Emily are super close and. They're not really as interested in this world that they've created. They're not really interested in, like, 
the melodrama and the political side of it. They just kind of want to go off and write their diary papers and do their poetry. And they create their own world, which is uh, called Gondols. And it's mostly based on poetry and it's in nature and it's like very female driven. And um, so, yeah, they're doing their own thing, basically. And I think later on, we're going to talk more about Charlotte and her work um, in her teenage years. And we're going to kind of leave those others to the side so we can just directly compare Charlotte and Jane this episode. So, yeah, I don't know. What was uh, what was Jane doing? Oh, no. Well, so all of Jane's earliest works, um, similar to those guys in that the, all of the writing she was doing was while she was still at home in Stevenson. She hadn't extensively mm. travelled at this point. She hadn't done much with her life. Now, it's believed... I saw a couple of conflicting things. So some people think that her writing, uh, her juvenilia, was written between the age of 12 to about 17. Some people are saying 11 to 16. But it was, you know, the shorter, like, five-year period when she was still a young woman. Mm-hmm. And she was writing in these three notebooks that were called, you know, Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. Those are good names. They are um, very imaginative. Mm-hmm. And they they were just these these notebooks that she had. Now, those are the things that are still left. Um, we said before that Cassandra, I was going to call her Lizzie then, Cassandra Lizzie. had burnt about two-thirds of her letters. Right. I can't imagine why they would have burnt her juvenilia, and I don't suspect that they did, because in some of these notebooks, the younger generations have actually been given them to practice their own writing in. Oh, So there's actually, like, notes and little pieces from some of the nephews and nieces. Okay. I think one of them was Fanny, who was, like, the favourite of Cassandra and Jane. Mm-hmm. So these, these were precious things. I think that's probably partly because, A, it's, like, your beloved aunt's notebook that she wrote in and paper prices paper was expensive mm-hmm. you didn't want to waste it now the bulk of what she was writing would have been done to entertain people she was doing it to be read aloud in an evening so that it wasn't you know they weren't just reading books from the shelf or newspapers like she was reading her own work as well and she wanted mm-hmm. to amuse her family and their friends she wants to make people laugh and a lot of what she was writing was reflected in what they were reading at the time mm-hmm. so um historical texts um romance fiction you know the austin's red novels they weren't they weren't above a novel mm-hmm. and so a lot of the stuff that she was writing is kind of a parody of that and it's you know the fact the fact that she was writing to entertain people does really come across and I think that something that I've noticed when I was trying to get a hold of audio versions of her juvenilia and I'm really sorry there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who I think are American Mm -hmm. who will try and do an audiobook of Jane Austen and they spend so much time focusing on doing an English accent which they don't do well in the first place right that they then they just lose all of the tone Mm-hmm. And, like, these are funny stories. They're completely over the top. And when you deliver it earnestly and seriously, you you do lose the sparkle and the wit. I think that's a problem, too, of, like, people just... Well, and we're going to talk about this a lot, I think, this episode, is people have this idea that, you know, if it was written in the past, that it's serious. Yeah. I think they're just like, 
oh, like, no, no, they were all serious back then and they yeah. didn't have a sense of humor. And they just sort of, yeah, they have no context. Mm-hmm. And they just, yeah, because, uh, yeah. Yeah, that just seems like a poor production. Choice. Yeah. Um, I did want to say that you can actually, um, you can go through and uh, people have put on line, on the line, mm-hmm. on the internet, um, very thorough versions of what are in Jane Austen's notebooks and okay. volumes in the order that they're in there. Mm-hmm. So you can just go through and you can like read all of like the little notes and all of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at it on a site called Pemberley.com. I just mm-hmm. wanted to share that because it was it's like such a useful resource and actually just being able to access all of this stuff is one of the reasons that you can make podcasts like this right. because like it is all there. It was really hard to get a hold of the copy of um the secret which is yeah. the juvenile that you'll be looking at yeah and like trying to trying to find that just that other book kept coming up it's hard too because yeah um the bronte's work is kind of scattered mm-hmm. and because they did write those teeny tiny little books and those manuscripts like when you know the estate was sold off those books scattered yeah you know across, people bought them and they've ended up in different libraries and um yeah, it's hard to get collections. So I have a lot of books with just, you know, a few stories or poems here and there. So in the second volume of uh, Jane's Notes, that's actually where you find uh, one of her more well-known pieces of juvenilia, which is A History of England by a Partial Prejudice and Ignorant Historian. I do like that one. Yeah. And she that's so cute. she wrote that one when she was 15. Uh, the year was 1791. It starts... From, it kind of covers Henry the Fourth, Charles the First, and it's a satire. Um, Cassandra drew lots of these little portraits for it. So Cassandra, yes. you know, so if they were living painter, today, yeah, they might be like a comic team, like a comic book team. Yeah, do you reckon? That would be great. That'd be perfect. Like Jane could focus on dialogue, which is all comics are, yeah. right? Yeah, and Cassandra could draw the pictures. Yeah, but Cassandra's rubbish. Well, she could get better. You can get better. There, there are going to be so many people that are like, Cassandra is actually a very talented uh, portraitist. <laughs> I don't agree. No, um, the you know, it's a really lovely little book and you can get hold of it. Um, I remember that I've the copy that I've got, I got from when I worked at the Jane Austen Centre. Yeah. And it, you know, just bigger than a tiny book, you know, yeah. When I say this is a small book, I mean it's maybe the size of the palm of your hand. It's yeah. Not, it's, I have the same copy. It's big enough that it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable, okay? And it's right, got, you right. know, it's got black and white versions of Cassandra's pictures in it. Um, it's really cute. But you can, on the internet, look at just scans of the drawings. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're like these colour watercolours and they are very sweet. And again, they would have read it aloud from this notebook. And I guess people would have like lent in and had a look at the, the sketches. It, it's yeah. cute. You can just see them doing it in the evening. Would they have been performing for their families? Yeah. And then maybe they were having like house parties, like friends over or anything like that? You, you think are, people outside the family there. as well? Yeah, yeah, whoever was there. So I just, yeah, just to kind of bring that back like to the Brontes too, because like they, they're not really performing for friends or outside people. So they're really just the, like the, the family unit is really just sort of enjoying these plays. I think, yeah, I mean, I've not, when I was doing my research, there wasn't anything that kind of suggested that, um, 
like these are people that she would have been reading to or these but it's, mm-hmm. it's like there's nothing to say that she wasn't and they were right. sociable and as is reflected in her work these smaller country communities they did spend evenings together right. and people would go over for supper and they would have had like close family friends one of the one of the people that she ended up engaged to was the younger brother of a close family friend so mm-hmm. you can imagine like families spent a lot of time together so i'm just going to assume that her writing wasn't just read in front of her siblings and she mm-hmm. was so much younger than james as well like james exactly well she was so they wouldn't necessarily even have been at home like right. hearing a lot of this or they like have been away at school or they may have circled back but, with other people too yeah like so yeah there's just like a wider range of people exposed to her work yeah um, there's loads and loads and loads um, there's this really interesting piece over on the British Library website which um, just talks about like her writing and the writing of her family so um, that just had loads of like really cool insights just about you know how old she was when she was doing it and that, again that's got scans mm-hmm. of the books it was really cool you can just go through and see like her handwriting and the way it was all put together. And I remember I used to write in like these old exercise books. Mm-hmm. So like these old school books and I would write these stories and then any pages that were left over, it never occurred to me that I could just write another story on those. I would tear those out. So I'd have this one six page story and I'd throw away 24 what other pages. Hannah, what? 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 Wasteful. Yeah, it was wasteful. But you know, silly lily and Rose the Rose were the stories that I needed to tell and I needed space for that. We didn't really talk about that. (laughs) About our juvenilia. (laughs) Yeah, I have juvenilia. I have some You can read my juvenilia online. Oh. Harry Potter fan fiction counts, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, there you go. You can't read mine online because I'm too old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So before we move on, I've got one last very interesting point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, a lot of the themes that she actually is writing about in her juvenilia, she goes on to write about in her earlier novels. So Northanger mm-hmm. Abbey, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility in particular are offshoots of things that she's looking at. And um, Sense and Sensibility was an epistolary, which I'll talk about in a little bit that was called Eleanor and Marianne that she built on and it's the juvenilia that I look at which I've forgotten the name of Love and Friendship Love and Friendship Love and Friendship like there's so so much of what's happening in Love and Friendship is then looked at in Sense and Sensibility it's like she had these ideas and she Mm -hmm. plays with them and then she's like okay good I still want to talk about that. I was 15. Let's try it again. This time I'll try it in prose. So yeah. a lot of her juvenilia is an epistolary, which is um, a story told through documents. In Jane Austen's case, most it's mostly letters. And then she's like, cool, I've done that. I'm going to do... I'm going for the big boys now. Right. Prose. Let's go. Right. And she moves on. And she moves on very quickly from the age of 17. You don't... The juvenilia stops. And then at that point, she starts drafting these books that go on to become beautifully written world famous adored novels some of the greatest the greatest of all time like of some of time. time yeah 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 I'd, I'd agree with that yeah yeah I know <laughs> someday someone will look at your Harry Potter fan fiction like Hannah Chapman she was trying things yeah me regularly <laughs> I'm always going back on it and I'm like ah 
15. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what genre is that? Angst. Oh. So Perfect. much angst. The angstiest. Oh, I know. Same here. Same here. Thank God none of you can find it. Unless you're my mother and you're looking through the basement. Oh, I'm pretty sure you can Google mine quite easily. Oh, yeah. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to compare and contrast uh, a couple of works here. And we're going to do it fairly quickly because we're really we're really flying through this episode. So um, dragon by for me. Dragon. 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 Um, so I'm going to talk about The Secret by Charlotte Bronte. And as you said, you're doing Love and Friendship. And I kind of picked these deliberately because I think, in my opinion, they're both really rough. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's weird doing the podcast and I can see you because usually I can just hear you via Skype. Yeah. And now I can like see your face in front of me. Cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling faces. Pulling faces at me. Um. So, yeah, the secret's kind of hard to find. Yeah. I mean, you can look at, you just go on Amazon and it's there. It's just hard yeah. to find copies of it. There are, it's, that are like, available. it's very limited so, run. And there is the other, the other book I was talking about, like there's this other book called The Secret and it's got like a wax seal on the cover and like the Simpsons I think it's like, like a parody I think it's it. called like The Secret of Charlotte Bronte and I think it's like a Charlotte Bronte bio. No, not The Secret There, there of, is, there is there, a one of those too. The Secret of Charlotte Bronte. Oh, you Bronte. mean The Secret, I mean, the like self-help the secret, secret the self-help book. one. Yeah, that comes yeah. up. I nearly ordered like 50 copies of that because I kept clicking on it like, boom, uh, here we go. Yeah. Well, you know what? Right one. If I were editing Charlotte Bronte, I actually, I have another title for this story. What is it? Midnight Letter. Oh, it's rubbish. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, the secret is a bit rubbish as well. It is. I uh, would call well, it Man About Town. Man About Town? <laughs> that, I just came up with that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the evil governess. I want a new pair of earrings. Give me some money. That's what I'd call it. Okay. Yeah. 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 That happens. Yeah, it's a hard one, right? So did you, you know, I read it. you read it. Yeah. It's interesting that you're reading like something that she wrote when she was 17. Yeah. And then also reading her greatest work at the same, about the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can see how she changed. Yeah, but do you know what was really cool about it? Mm. So, I mean, do you want to, do you want to say what goes on? Yeah, I'll explain a little bit about it. So, um, I, I, this, the Charlotte Bronte's Juvenalia, it actually goes from the time she's 13 until the time she's 23. So that's that's when scholars, hey. that's when the academics consider hey that to be the Juvenalia. Listen. They're just like, she's not as good as Jane Austen, so we need to give her a little bit of extra time to catch <laughs> up. That's what's going on. There you go. Um, she wrote this when she was 17. Just said that. Uh, I thought this, has a, this had a cool story behind it. So she wrote The Secret in Lily Hart together in one of her little tiny books it's so little um the manuscript was lost and it turned up like among the personal effects of like a u.s senator's wife when she passed (laughs) in the 1970s like in missouri was she charlotte bronte do we have anything to suggest she wasn't she you know probably was charlotte bronte it's probably the the best explanation i'm sure it was just it was sold off Mm mm-hmm and just pass through 
family to family. Or maybe it just got lost, like, in a trunk somewhere, because it's so small, and then just... <laughs> just, like, in the shoe? Just, like, fell in someone's shoe? It just shoe. fell in someone's shoe, and then they just, like, it turned up in, like, St. Louis. So, um... Yeah, he was like, what do I have here? I think I have an original manuscript by Charlotte Bronte. Let me just give this to the library. So it is now at the University of Missouri Libraries. You can Google it right now, and they have a little story about it on their website. And you can go to the library and visit it. I'm thinking about doing it. Just drive down to St. Louis. It's not that far. Remember when Kelly Clarkson bought Jane Austen's ring and then we all petitioned and yeah. said you can't take it out of England. Yeah. yeah bring that book back to England, <laughs> Missouri Library, and we'll get rid of everything inside the British Museum at the same time. There you go. That's okay, the trade-off. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, I don't know. I do kind of feel like it should be at the Parsonage. I don't want to start anything, but but yeah, I think the Parsonage, Parsonage should have it. I don't know. Yeah. Why not? Same. Let's go. Let's let's have a heist. Let's drive down there. We're going to steal it. How far it. away is Missouri? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say four hours. We could do that. Tonight. We could do it. We could do it tonight. Tonight's the night. We could get into my Subaru. Yeah. Which we wrecked last night. <laughs> we did smash a window. <laughs> That's another story. By the story time for you read day. this, we're going to be in prison. By the time you read <laughs> this, by the time you tune in with your uh, audio earbuds, yeah, we'll be done in prison. I like this though because it's so small, right? Yeah. They'll like, be like can... they'll do a full body pat down. They won't know what I've taken. They won't. They'll be like charmed by your British accent. Yes. Like we'll get really dressed up. Mm. We're gonna act like we're grad students. I'm gonna wear my dungarees. Yeah. Wear those. Well, I say I'm, I'm going to wear them. I'm wearing them now. and She's um, worn them I'll like just, every day since she's been here. It's I'll crazy. keep them on. Yeah. Keep them on and drive down there. We're just, you know, we're just going to charm them. You you talk to them. I will just like slide the tiny book in my pocket. Yeah. And then we'll just run. Yeah. No one will know. Do you say it's a, a university? Yeah. They'll all be a kegger. Yeah. I've seen them on tele, Actually, tele, television. <laughs> I will say this. My friend is a rare books librarian yeah. and I won't say where he works, but he did call me and he said that um, someone like came and stole a bunch of like rare comics out of their library. Oh no. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we just signed the men and they were like, yeah, can we see these rare comics? And the librarian went and got them for them. And then they just like, you know, replaced them with shittier copies and apparently the librarian didn't really check before they put them back. He's like, yeah, this guy has been doing it at, like, libraries all over the country. Just oh, my stole, gosh. like, yeah, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of comics. So it's not hard to steal a book. Yeah, I'm going to just fold a piece of paper up and, like, scroll some stuff on it and just yeah. be like, whomp, whomp. And then, and then, but do you know what I'm going to write on it? It's just going to say, suckers, <laughs> over and over again. But so small, you won't be able to tell. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to steal a book. And that's the storyline of The Secret. <laughs> <laughs> so the lead character in The Secret is Marion Hume. And she's so boring. She's really boring. Um, all of Charlotte's uh, female characters share this characteristic in her earlier works. They are just pretty women with nothing to say, nothing to do. Big mistake. Huge. <laughs> But she really fixes that, right? Because, I mean, what I love about Charlotte later on, like, I love Villette and I love Jane Eyre because, the, you know, those women have such backbone and, 
you know gumption gumption you like that word it feels like a very american word gumption all right all right okay um so marion is the bride of what's his name arthur who is the son of the duke of wellington that toy soldier of hers and um she goes out shopping in verdopolis so glass town was the capital of Hungria, and then it changed to Verdopolis, I think, because they thought it sounded better, but it doesn't. They're both, they both sound silly. They're both kind of terrible. I kind of like Glastown. It's a little weird, but whatever. So they're shopping in Verdopolis, and Arthur runs into Marion's old governess named Miss Foxley. And that is a name I agree with. Yeah. I like that one. And, uh, Foxley had manipulated Marion earlier on in their relationship and like she tried to, you know, stop the marriage. It's all very Hang on, you're skipping something. Dramatic. So, Miss Foxley like walks into this jewelry shop. She spends ages like looking around. She's like, Oh, I'll have a look in this cabinet. Oh, I'll have a look in this cabinet. And then the shopkeeper's like, Listen, love, what are you up to? Because you're you you know, you've asked to see every single thing. You don't like any of it. And then she goes, Well, what I'd really like is and then she describes this ring mm-hmm. like it has to have like a gold band and it has to have a piece of hair this color like inside it mm-hmm. inlaid do you have that lying <laughs> around and this guy's like no but if you come back at nine o'clock tonight i'll absolutely have it ready for you come great, on great shopkeeper that is service good Which, service in Verdopolis. great service that's my takeaway from the story really. yeah for sure so crazy governess gets this ring Arthur sees her and he's like, that one that tried to break up my marriage, no way, goes home to his wife and is like, hey, if you see your governess, just run the other way. She's in town. She's up to no good. And Marion's like, yeah, you know, sure. But then at midnight, she receives a letter from Foxley. And uh, it's saying, like, you know, you got to meet me. I have some information to tell you. If you don't meet me, there's going to be a scandal. I know. Not a scandal. So Marianne sneaks out and she meets up with Foxley. And um, the governess, like, brings this young man with her and, you know, the ring. And she's like, look, it's Henry. It's Henry Percy. Another name I agree with. Yeah, Henry's a good name. I like that one. Um and Henry Percy was this dude that was engaged to Marion, like, back in the day. And she's like, look, your dead fiancé, not so dead. Here he is. And Marion's, like, in shock. And she doesn't believe that it's him. And the reason why she doesn't believe that it's him is because years ago, she had a dream that he died. And that he, like, had, I don't know, I think he died on a ship, right? Uh... I think that's what it was. And he was like at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know why I have this. I have this thought in my brain. But anyway. You watched Titanic right before you. It's, read yeah, this it is. You. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So um, she's like, no way. I had a dream about this guy and he died. But oh my God, he has this ring. He has this very specific ring and it must be him. So she's shocked. So um, Marion goes to Lord Elrington for help. Oh, Elrington. Yeah. yeah. She goes to him for help. What should I do in this situation? And he puts her in the direction of um, a secret box that 
contains a clue to her past that will help her. But um, it doesn't really help her because what it says is that she's actually the daughter of her father-in-law's political rival. So it's like, oh, you're not actually who you thought you were? Oh. Yeah. And that's, so that's the big thing. I guess that's the secret. Oh. Um, but really, I believe that's a trap set by Foxley. Because uh, Foxley's out to just mess so you, up her life. Did she plant it? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Because isn't the whole thing with Foxley is that she's always trying to... She's always trying to use her position as a governess to marry well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, and she's trying to, you know, get it married. Marion. She really wanted to marry this dude. And, uh, yeah. What ends up happening at the end is really, like, a big letdown. Like, finally, Marion... Marion can't really, like, work the situation out, you know? She's just, like, she's just helpless. Mm -hmm. And she finally goes to her husband and is like, oh my god, all of this happened. And her husband is like, don't worry, let me take care of it. Very much the same way that my husband last night was like, don't worry about the broken window. Let me take care of it. And he just, you know, goes and finds out that all of this is not true. That Foxley has hired a guy to play Henry Percy. And that's not really her fiance. Yeah, because Henry Percy is like, hey, I can prove it's me. And then he's got this ring. Mm -hmm. And then anyone who's read the book, which is like 20 pages long, is like, wait, on page two... Miss Foxley bought the ring that he's showing her as evidence that it's him. So, like, the big reveal and the big tension doesn't exist. Because you know from the minute Henry Percy is like, hey, I'm Henry Percy, you know it's not him. Exactly. There isn't, yeah. There isn't long enough for me to be buying into this. No, there's not. And um, also, the document's fake. And Marion is who she thought she was. She's not the daughter of, like, this big political rival. Everything's fine. Her husband's like, I told you not to go out. I told you not to talk to Foxley. But everything's fine. Don't yeah, worry about Foxley, it. Yeah, she just gets sent away. Yeah, they're like, you need to leave. Don't do this. I know. Terrible. And that's, yeah, that's it's, just the end. It's, um, we did a great job of recapping that story. It's kind of, it's hard. Like, the language is really hard. It's, like, really melodramatic. It's really confusing. There's just, it's chaotic. Mm -hmm. There's too much going on there. But there's a couple things I like about this story. Is one that, um, even though it's a bit of a mess, like, it's not a courtship story. I like that she's a 17-year-old girl not just writing fairy tales. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look over all of her juvenilia, it is sort of... Yeah, it's just there's always a little, like, there's a ghost story element. There is, um, I, I kind of like this, you know, this governess character who's just, like, coming to town just to, like, mess with Marion, even though it's unclear as to, like, what she's doing. Um, it kind of makes me think of, uh, in seventh grade, I had this English teacher who was always drunk. Okay. And one day he, um, well, one day he fell off his desk and like we had to call nine one one. Oh my gosh! I know he was fine, but he like, just the like the students had to call nine one one. Yeah, yeah. Like he just like stood on top call, of like his... another print, like the principal or like another teacher. You're like, get the police, <laughs> call nine one one, get the police in right away. 
Well, he just like stood on top of his desk and he was making this big point, but he was like clearly like slurring all his words and um, he was not well. And then he like made this big point and he raised his fist and he hit a ceiling tile and the ceiling tile came down and crashed on his head <laughs> and he fell. And we all for like a full minute just stood there and no one said or did anything. And then finally, like a boy in the back of the room just stood up and was like, call 911. And then he just ran from the room. Well. And we assumed that he went to go call 911, which he he did. Someone did. Anyway. But before he fell, he was making this point and he was saying, every story is about one of two things. And I don't believe this is fully true, but I think about it all the time. He's like, it's either about a man going on a journey or a man coming to town. And this is like a story about a man coming to town. Yeah. And just like fucking shit up. Yeah. And I like, I always like that as a device. I always find that interesting. Um, It's unclear though why really. Like her motives are like, they're still like not completely clear, you know. But yeah, I don't know. There could be something interesting in that Foxley character. You know, I really thought was interesting. Hmm. The, The voice of, so... The Brontes weren't always just writing from, like, this is the main character, so we're going to hear from their point of view, mm-hmm. or this is this all-seeing, all-knowing narrator who's unbiased. The, it's always coming from, like, an interesting character, whether or not yeah. it's, the, like, the people from Wuthering Heights, which I'm really excited to read now, uh, unless Jane Eyre is only good at the beginning and it gets terrible at the end. Um Jane Eyre is from Jane Eyre's point of view, but Wuthering Heights is not from the point of view of Heathcliff, or Kathy, right. it's from the point of view of someone who's relating the story. Mm-hmm. And this, The Secret, is told by the brother of the Marquis, the Duke Arthur. of Wellington's son. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the story's being told by Arthur's brother. Yeah. And so every now and then, it won't say Arthur walked down the street, it will be my brother walked down the street. Mm-hmm. And that is so interesting. It is. It's brilliant. There's no need for it, it's completely unnecessary. Um, in that the story would make as much sense as it makes. You don't actually meet this brother that's telling the story. Mm -hmm. But it feels like you're being told it. It feels like you're being told something in confidence almost. Someone Mm -hmm. personally is recounting this story that happened to someone they know to you. Mm -hmm. It feels very intimate. I think it's brilliant. I do like that. I really loved it. That's one of my favourite things about Wuthering Heights as well, which we will talk about in depth. But, um, yeah. Not until I've read it. <laughs> <laughs> Not until you've read it. Um, but yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's a great point. Like, the point of view is really interesting. The supernatural element is really interesting because also the supernatural element is not it's not scary Mm -hmm. it's meant to be like oh she just kind of has these dreams like she has these visions and she like knows this is true because because it happened in a dream so um i like that she's using the supernatural in not a typical way and um and she's playing around with it she's playing around with it a lot like there's a lot of short stories by charlotte where there's this one about this guy who's just traveling through ireland and he's looking for a place to stay. And someone's like, hey, you can, you know, stay at the castle, but the castle's totally haunted. And the guy's like, I don't care. I don't care about haunting. Like, I'm not scared. And then he goes to sleep in the castle and he has like this dream. And I can't he's look not at sure a picture on Google of a tiny yeah. book. Like I'm not staying in a haunted <laughs> castle. No. 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 
I would definitely stay in a haunted castle. And I've actually stayed in a haunted hotel where the Brontes have stayed as well. Uh, I know. I don't want to. Anyway. Anyway. Let's move it along to love and friendship. Yeah. Uh, this is a story on the podcast that I said that I liked. Because I remember reading it and liking it. Mm-hmm. And then I reread it. Mm-hmm. And I did not care for it. Right. So something changed. Yeah. What changed? Wow. <laughs> Before we get into whether or not this is any good, uh, word of the day, epistolary. Now, I mentioned that earlier. It's a story told through a series of documents, uh, something that Jane Austen did a lot in her juvenilia. She didn't do it so much in later life. None of her, mm-hmm. none of the six novels that are published, or Sanderson, which was unfinished, um, None of them are told that way. So it's clearly like a storytelling device that she decides to leave behind, despite Sense and Sensibility starting in that sense. And there are lots and lots and lots and lots of modern day examples of that. And people will try and do it, you know, this is a story told entirely through text messages or through emails or through, oh, just, I don't know, some other boring millennial thing that someone thinks is going (laughs) to sell a book in 2017. Like Tumblr reblogs? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Has that been done? I don't know, but I feel like it has. So I think there was the, there's YouTube videos of like, um, a story being told through a character's, uh, Google search. Yeah. That's an epistolary. That's Mm -hmm. like a really interesting epistolary. Um, stuff like that I think is, is funny and it's interesting and it serves a purpose. And even just, um, I think maybe I do love epistolaries actually like a video of two people's like Facebook chats Mm -hmm. and like people typing something and then getting rid of it and then the benefit of it being a video is that you can see the act of typing and the act Mm -hmm. of the pause when you get you know you're thinking about what you're saying then you're removing some of the text and then you type it again and then you Mm -hmm. don't send it and then you close the chat so you know it can be done I just think that you know, putting something into text speak and then being like, now this is updated for a modern day audience. That's boring and I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Not interested. So that's an epistolary. You shouldn't get love and friendship confused with the film that came out last year. Right. Because that is actually Lady Susan, mm-hmm. but they decided to call it love and friendship for no good reason. I don't know. Actually, They just said up. that they, yeah, they just thought it sounded better than Lady Susan. That's it. Yeah, no, you're right. And Harry Potter and the Book of Lies sounds like a really good title, but it isn't what the book's called and you can't make a film like that. That's not how it works. Fair enough. Fair enough. You heard it here first. You know what really grinds my gears? No, don't, <laughs> don't include that Family Guy joke. John, cut that out. Keep it. No. <sighs> Lady Susan's also an epistolary, by the way. They both are. This is what I'm saying. She did it a lot. Lady so, Susan is the better epistolary. Lady Susan's fine. This is fine, you know. It is the story of um, this older woman. I think she's maybe 55. Her name is Laura. And she is recounting to her friend Isabel's daughter, Marianne, this series of uh, mishaps that she got into when she was a young woman. And Isabella has basically said to her, if you could just have a chat with my daughter so that she will learn from your terrible, terrible, terrible life choices... And there's this really good bit because Laura is basically like, "Uh, I mean, I'm pretty old, like I'm 55. Um, And she says, 
Although I cannot agree with you in supposing that I will never again be exposed to misfortune as unmerited as those I have already experienced. So it could happen again. Mm-hmm. It could just happen to her at any point. She's not out of danger. So the first few letters are just kind of setting up that scenario. She's introducing herself to Marianne. She's explaining, you know, she's a, Isabella writes to her and is like, hey, can you do this? And she writes back. By the third letter... Uh, We're getting into kind of more familiar Jane Austen territory. So if you've read any of her books before, you will know that Jane Austen has a certain view on women's virtues and the the things that women learn to make themselves uh, desirable and acceptable to society. So being able to paint a nice screen, being able to play the piano well, being able to sing, being able to speak certain languages. And Laura is saying to them, uh, is saying to Marianne, you know, I had all of these accomplishments, I could do all of these things. But she says, my accomplishment, my, I can't talk, my accomplishments too begin to fade. I can neither sing so well nor dance so gracefully as I once did. Even at this young age, Jane Austen knows that these are things that aren't going to last and there has to be something more to you than just being able to perform for people. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, you'll get to 55 and what do you have to recommend you to someone there isn't anything left uh laurie does say that one of the things that she found really interesting about um isabel i think i've i haven't said what happens in the story i've just gone straight into what happens in the letters yeah yeah tell us what happens in the story yeah so what happens in i'm so sorry no so what happens in the story is um Laura is a young woman. She's from... It really surprised me because she's from Wales. Wales, yeah. I never expected her to be from Wales. I was just like, what? Jane Austen's writing about a different country. That's... Yeah. Blew my mind. Blew my mind wide open. So she's in Wales and there's this massive like rap at the door and her parents and Laura, they're all sitting around and they're like, someone should open the door. You should open the door. Why didn't you open the door? I'd love to see who's outside. And it's really funny. And it's written like this is definitely something that was written to be read loud. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe uh, not the whole thing in one evening, but you get maybe like a few letters at once. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. They open the door and this young guy walks in and the young guy is like, my dad wants me to marry this woman. She's pretty great. I really fancy her. I'm not going to do it because my dad wants me to. And then he says to Laura, hey, we should get hitched. Right. It happens right off the bat. Like straight away. Laura's like, okay, off we go. They go and get married. They then go to his family home. His Mm -hmm. family's like, oh, this is really stupid. Why would you do that? The dad turns up. The dad's like, you're disobeying me. The son's like, he, like, they steal the dad's carriage. Like, mm-hmm. they climb out a window or something. They steal the dad's carriage. Then they leave. They go to their friend's house. The friends are like, hey, guess what? Our parents didn't want us to get married either. We did it anyway. We've got no money. The friend Augustus, the male friend, he gets taken to debtor's prison. And then her boyfriend, the, no, her husband, the guy that she's just married, he goes off after him to like try and get him out. The two wives are just left. They're just left there. They don't know what's going on. They don't know where anyone is. They go to look for the men. They can't find them. And then Sophia's like, hey, don't go back to your family. Well, no. And then Laura just is like, oh, my parents are dead, mm-hmm. by the way. They died um, after I got married. It's just like this little bit of a line in one of the letters. 
Then they go up to Scotland. On their way to Scotland, she bumps into this man. She thinks the man's her granddad. He gives her some money. She faints. The money gets stolen. Mm -hmm. They go up to Scotland anyway. They convince this young girl that she's going to go off and marry a fortune hunter. Then the guy, uh, the girl's dad is like, oh, I can't believe you've done that. I'm going to kick you out. Oh, you've stolen from me as well. I'm definitely kicking you out. Mm -hmm. He kicks them out. They go to the roadside. Then there's an accident. Who's had an accident? They're two husbands. And they're like, tell us what happened. Why did you disappear? Then they die. And then <laughs> they go and sleep in a cottage. And then the friend dies. And then she comes out of the cottage. And there's a carriage. And in the carriage is everyone who hasn't died yet in the story. Yes. That was good, Hannah. The end. So there's too much plot. Sorry, there's a lot of plot. And I know none of that made sense. But, but. I feel that way about The Secret too. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, how could I have like better explained The Secret? Because I was just like, ah, oh, and then she comes, but then this is a trick. And then she sets this trick. But before that, you know, like it's too much. Like yeah. both of them are like there's putting much, in there's not way space. too much plot. They're like, we, yeah. yeah, we like Jane Austen only writes, well, she writes a little book. Mm -hmm. It's not as little as Charlotte's book. But they're like, we don't have that much space and we have too much plot. But I do Both think, of them. But I do think she's she's making fun of these over-the-top yes. stories. And mm -hmm. like, so within that, um, and I did get ahead of myself, um, within each of these letters, there are these like th these little nuggets of humour. Mm -hmm. And if you get caught up in the whole thing, like it is too much and it is too over-the-top. And it's almost a bit, you know, when something that children do when they write is um, the story will go, he turned around the corner and suddenly, and then something else will happen. And mm -hmm. then suddenly, right. and everything is sudden. And everything is a shock. And there isn't, there's no... There's no breathing and room. And there's yeah. no time to like sit with the characters because this has potential. Like if you were, if you had time to like be with the characters, like, like you said, like the guy just turns up and mm -hmm. he's like, I don't want to marry this girl. I guess I'll marry you. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but, let the relationship develop a little bit, but, you know. But, so, some of the things that um, she uh, that she does start to develop, like, the dialogue. The dialogue's really important. So mm -hmm. many of the scenes in this story are just reliant on the humour between two people talking. There is this amazing bit right at the end when the two women are sitting underneath the trees. Um, they've been kicked out of... Uh, you know they've run out of money they've gone up to scotland they got given some money by a man who thinks he's their granddad they go to this house they get kicked out for stealing there nothing's going right and laura turns to sophia this like friend of her husband's and says what a lovely scene alas why are not edward and augustus here to enjoy its beauty with us and so <laughs> i can't talk i was going to read this bit and i've done it wrong <laughs> Basically, everything Laura says, um, Sophia responds with, oh, don't, you know, don't sit there in silence because you're leaving me alone with my thoughts. And then Laura speaks and then she's like, okay, well, don't mention that because that reminds me of my husband, Augustus. Oh, okay, well, don't speak about that either because that reminds me of my friend, uh, my husband, Augustus. Don't, you know, nothing, nothing she can do is right. I think right. that's really funny. Um, something else that really struck me, and actually we were talking about this because we were watching The Real Housewives of Cheshire earlier. and So good. Yeah, it is really good. <laughs> but So the first time that Laura meets Sophia, they are immediately best friends. The, the quote is, we flew mm -hmm. into each other's arms and having exchanged vows of mutual friendship for the rest of our lives, 
instantly unfolded to each other the most inward secrets of our hearts. Yeah. So that is a thing that could feel rushed. And I actually didn't think it felt rushed because as we had this discussion earlier about certain people that just open up to you right away. Yeah. It, I mean, that is that is truthful. There are yeah. people in the world who will just immediately start talking to you. And it is it is a way of kind of gaining someone's confidence. I'll tell you a secret about me. Mm-hmm. Like I trust you. Uh, it's a way of ingratiating yourself. Right. I don't always buy it. And, you know, if you think about the, the people in Jane Austen's later works who do that, you've got Isabella Thorpe, you've got Lucy Steele, you've got Miss Clay. These aren't, like, these aren't the nicest people. Right. So Jane Austen isn't including that because she thinks this is something that people should be doing. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. And, like, this, this story is full of those moments it's it's just really dense. Right. It's very, very, very funny. And something that I realised after reading it was that I actually think this is what people who haven't read Jane Austen must think Jane Austen's work reads like. And I think the same thing of Charlotte Bronte. Yeah. So I'm going to say, don't start with the secret. Um, definitely go to Valette first or go to Jane Eyre first. Because... Um, and then then look back because I think it's mm-hmm. interesting to see how they grow. Yeah, the value the value in these is like looking at it and seeing the seed of what they go on to write. It For isn't sure. in this piece of writing itself. Right. Um when I when I was reading about her juvenilia, there are so many people who are like, Oh, it's a joy to read her juvenilia, you know, um, it's a treasure. And yeah, it is really cool and it's super great that it exists and that you can go back and read it. But I wouldn't it's not a good time mm. like there are these there are these really great funny moments like by the end of it obviously Laura everything that goes wrong in Laura's life is because she and her friend are headstrong and they're foolish they're Lydia Bennett they don't care about anyone yeah. else they don't care about the consequences of what happens all of this stuff all of this stuff has happened she refuses even at the end even after her husband has died her parents have died you know like her new best friend has died um she refuses to admit that she's done anything wrong and she says nay faultless as my conduct had certainly been during the whole course of my late misfortunes misfortunes and adventures she pretended to find fault with my behavior in many of the situations in which i had been placed because her friend isabella who had asked her to write to marianne she's like there at the end of the story as well like this thing is in it's insane you know she is listening to her story and she's like well laura you know maybe you've made some wrong turns here and there and laura's just like no like although that is very real housewife this happened yeah (laughs) everything happens to laura laura doesn't make any of her choices and that is not something that jane austen's heroines do afterwards right right and that's one of the reasons why i'm kind of off put by love and friendship looking back at it i'm like whoa wait these are not the reasons that I, I love Jane Austen. Like Jane Austen is uh, brilliant at pacing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm going to say this, like she's better at pacing than the Brontes are, I think. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I love her work so much. And so to read this, it's just like, whoa, this is what, what is this? Yeah. And, you know, and that's fine because this is how we learn, right? Like, yeah. I think when we talk about great authors in general, we only talk about the greats. And we don't talk about how they got there. And it's important to know, like, you, you put your 10,000 hours in. 
So like Jane Austen is making fun of things in this in this thing. Like she is spoofing what she's read elsewhere. But the things that she is interested in are still here. Sense and sensibility yeah. exists in love and friendship. Like it like it does. You've got these um you know, Lucy, Lucy Steele, she's in it. Sophia, like, not, like, I'm not saying that it's direct, but, like, the conflict and the tension between, like, sense and sensibility, like, being sensible, thinking about your decisions, like, doesn't exist within this story. Mm-hmm. But, like, these girls that run away and, like, fly off with their feelings and, like, they feel everything and everything's over the top... That is Laura and Sophia in here. Mm-hmm. Like, Marianne are these two girls. And so, like, I think, yeah, you, you can see it. You can see it. But, oh, my gosh, if I never have to read Love and Friendship again, it will be too soon. Ooh, we're done I with just, it. I just, like, I'm done with it. I think I've read it maybe, like, five times to try and make these notes. And every every time, I, I've sat down so many times to try and, like, write uh, in a nutshell, this yeah, is yeah. what happens. Yeah, you can't. I had a hard. There's I had not tree. So I had problems. The same problem with the Do secret. Do nuts grow on trees? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Right. Do they? No, I don't know anything about plants. Mm. <laughs> but um, I had the same problem with the secret too. Like it just, it was hard to get to the heart of the story. Yeah. It was. Yeah, I'm just not, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm not sure what the point is. There's, there's seeds though. There's some really interesting character work here. Um, Interesting point of view. But like, I can't really recommend it. But what I do actually find really interesting about it is just how far away, like how she grows. Like, I mean, she writes this as a teenager and then just a few years later, she's working on Jane Eyre and it's a wildly different book. Yeah. And I'm wondering what happened from point A to point B like, did someone read this and say, you know, was it when she went to school in Brussels and her professor was like, throw all this garbage out. Like, this is all nonsense. Like, I need you to be you. Mm-hmm. And so um, we didn't have this uh, in our notes originally talking about maybe doing Brussels versus Bath. But I think that we should, because I feel like maybe maybe that's a point where things change, like that maybe that's something that we should investigate, like what changes in their writing. I, I see what you're saying with Jane Austen, like it's there, it is there, like things are there, but also, what she wrote um, changes? She wrote the three books that I mentioned earlier before Living in Bath. Okay. Her okay. 10 year gap of not writing happens in the middle of writing. She, she writes six complete books and she writes three before Bath and they're great, but it's the three that she writes after Bath that are like... You the love. more mature pieces of literature, maybe, perhaps. Mm, interesting. Okay. I think we did it. Let's high five. Congratulations, Hannah. We got through Love and Friendship and The Secret. And I feel like that was the biggest hurdle, to be honest. Because the rest of it we love. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. For love and friendship versus the secret. Who won? Did anyone win? No one won. Yeah, let us know. Tweet at us. Oh, yeah, you guys can tell us who won. Branwell Bronte won. Yeah, Branwell Bronte. Because like, he just bounced. He was like, I am uninterested in this. And I just I just left. Yeah. That's basically what happened. Um, but yeah, tweet at us. Our handle is bonnets at dawn. And that is also our handle for Instagram. And yeah. Check us out, follow us, talk to us, 
and hopefully we will see you next week yeah tune in next week we'll speak to you then all right bye Bye. guys bye